the syllogism. July 20th. The inspector picks up the journal and reads from it. This is what the journal entry says, he states for the record. I read this to him. The words are on his lips. I understand that our minds are limited, but I also know that we can conceptualize abstract statements and build on these statements with time. Why this should be, I do not understand, yet I will not undermine it either. If I accept it, there is no limit to what I can do. In other words, that exists which can be imagined, which means therefore that truth is as strange as fiction, which therefore also means that fiction equals truth. We are in the study. The body is sprawled on the desk in front of us. A man's dead, dead body. There is a book in front of him and a pen still clutched in his hand. I walk over to the bookshelf, thinking that I can find a clue there. What I find are primarily books on the major heretical followings of the Dark Ages. Some books about the Gnostics, the Albigenses, the Bogomils, the Humiliati, the Petrobrusians, the Henricans, the Waldensians, the Brethren of the Free Spirit, the Neo-Adamites, and many others, as well as the odd alchemical text or two. This teaches us something about the interests of the deceased, or at least the interests of the person who bought his books for him, if he didn't buy them himself. But it doesn't say very much about the case itself. All that we can see is apparent. A window at the far end of the room. A desk in front of it. The body sprawled on the desk with its back to the open door. Pinned to the desk by a knife through the neck. A knife which had been inserted from behind. The victim has been pinned down with such great force that the knife is embedded over two inches into the hardwood desk. The left hand is on the journal in which the words have been written, while the pen is still clutched in the right. I lean against the bookshelf lethargically and drag on a cigarette. This could all mean nothing. But somebody sure killed this guy and now owes a debt to society. We are here to ensure that the debt is collected. Hey, wasn't this guy left-handed? Look, his watch is on his left hand. Does this mean that the pen's been moved from the left hand to the right? Or does it mean that the journal and the pen were planted? It doesn't mean anything. I speak up with quiet but firm decision. 
If the body has been set up in this place, then we need to establish how it was placed here and what he was doing when he was overcome by his attacker and or murderer slash murderers. We don't have anything until we take this man to autopsy. Autopsy reveals that there had been a large quantity of narcotic drugs in the man's system. Lying on the metal gurney, I managed to get a good look at his face. Gray hair, mustache, terribly pale and thin. Anything could have happened to this man. He could have committed suicide, or died an accidental or natural death, then been placed in extenuating circumstances by a second party. Perhaps this had even been his dying wish. The real clues in the case probably lie in the journal note, if nowhere else. I had copied it out earlier, and am now going over it again and again as I wait for the final report. The doctor comes in and tells me some things about the body. He describes me the drugs the neck wound, the head wound, the bad teeth, the ulcers, the poor digestion, the anal suppositories, the evidence of a lobotomy, evidence of several other surgeries. The list goes on and on. I look down at the words again and try to work them through. He had recorded that a second person had stated that the words are on a third person's lips, or perhaps it is reflected back to the first person's? A more enigmatic statement I surely couldn't find anywhere. The bottom line must be the last statement, that fiction equals truth. On the next day of the investigation, I call my three associates into the room and read the words out loud over and over again. That exists which can be imagined equals truth is as strange as fiction equals fiction equals truth. We spend an hour reading those words until they become a very part of our character and we resume the investigation in this spirit. The thought that fiction might actually equal truth, uh, well, the dead man apparently considered these words so important that they became a part of him in death. I dream that night that I see that dead man. He is trying to tell me something, but what? The next day of the investigation proves very fruitful. Each of my investigators comes back with a different man. They have constructed scenarios that link their men with the murder victim, and they have evidence. They also have confessions and the murder weapons. I tell them that they don't need a murder weapon 
since the man was possibly killed by the knife that split his neck. But they tell me, no, no, he was killed in another room and brought into this one. Each detective has the same story, but a different suspect. They begin to bicker among one another, and I watch them and listen for them to slip up. I count them. One, two, three men squabbling. And I stop them at once. I release the suspects that they have caught, and I speak up. You have invented fictions to explain the involvement of those men who aren't murderers, but rather avid fans of detective fiction. You three men are yourselves, in actual fact, the creative people. Each of you is the author of detective stories in your part-time. Fiction equals truth. And, of course, also truth equals fiction. I believe that the dead man was either warning the world that his killers were authors, or it is the confession of a writer of fiction that is based on truth. So, which one is it, gentlemen?